on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are still here, as you might have expected. We were told that thousands of people were going to die in the heatwave. Uh, we're still waiting for news on that, but there is a heatwave. There's no doubt about it. It's a bit unpleasant. It's a bit hot. Uh, so if you are out and about, do make sure uh, that you know that it's hot. And of course you know that it's hot because you can feel it, because you're a human being and you can feel the temperature. It's not hot everywhere, by the way. I know there are parts of Scotland that are not hot at all. There are parts of the north of England today that are a lot cooler than they were yesterday. Uh, today, this morning is supposed to be the hottest of all time uh, in this country after yesterday, which was also supposed to be the hottest of all time. I didn't find yesterday to be too terrible, uh, and it did start to cool down a bit in the evening. Let us know how you're dealing with it. Let us know how you're coping with it. Uh, and if you've got any tips, they're always welcome as well. This morning, we're going to talk about a great many things. Uh, Baroness Kate Hoey is here with us. Uh, very good morning to you, Kate. We'll get to her in a second because we've got lots to talk about. Uh, is it going to be Penny Morden, who put out a very interesting video last night uh, in which she basically said that she wasn't Rishi Sunak because she's not that rich and she used to work uh, in all sorts of different places when times were tough. We've got Rishi Sunak uh, who's going to be voted through probably today. There's yet another ballot which starts uh, being voted on around about midday. We'll bring you all of that. Uh, Tom Tugendhat dropped out yesterday. Uh, senior MP Tobias Elwood apparently has been stripped of the Conservative Party whip after he abstained in the support of confidence vote in the government. We'll hear from Boris Johnson from what he said yesterday. Uh, the legacy uh, that he leaves behind uh, will be questionable but will probably be better than some people would have expected it to be. Uh, also of course we'll be talking about net zero. We'll be talking about Prince Harry and his ludicrous speech at the UN yesterday uh, to basically about three and a half people. We'll also be talking uh, about the economy, about inflation, about what is going to be done to lower the prices that people have to pay for everything in this country. And I'm going to be talking about the trains as well, because believe it or not, there are some places where you now can't go by train, specifically Scotland. Why? It's too hot. But you get to Leeds, though. So what happens after Leeds? Is there some kind of chasm of fire that you have to go through? Ridiculous. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're listening uh, and talking uh, to you right here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. It is with great pleasure I can introduce you to Kate Howey, who we haven't seen in here for a while. Kate, how nice to see you. Very nice to see you. I haven't been in the studio for a long you time. You haven't, have you? Very it's nice. been revamped, I think, since you were last yeah, here. And it's very cool. It is very cool. Well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that so many people who used to like working from home have now decided to commute into work in incredibly difficult conditions of heat because they can sit in an air-conditioned office all day. Yes, and that's what I, I thought was shocking, that any school closed. Yeah. Because, you know, it, a lot of those children would have been probably going back to homes where there wasn't any air right. conditioning and they were overcrowded. So exactly. it was really silly. I mean, I get that well, not all schools are air conditioned and some no. schools are designed so badly that they actually do get very hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, my own son's school is currently under construction. And if you went there, you'd think it was oh, in yeah. the middle of Sarajevo during mm-hmm. the during the Bosnian War. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's horrendous. You see, I love the sun. I'm, I'm a sun worshipper. Oh. And I, get, I used to get very cross when people would complain it was too hot. Now, it is hot. There's mm. no doubt about it. It's hot. But I, I just... Um, I'm fed up a little bit with being told that I'm really not sensible enough to know. Yeah. I thought the bit where they said, go and make sure you know the coolest part in your house. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. We do. I mean, we have had now this kind of um, epidemic, if you like, of advice ever since COVID. It didn't seem to be quite so bad before COVID, but now it seems ridiculously bad where they want to advise you about absolutely everything. I mean, Steve Khan put out a kind of um, top tips for keeping cool uh, tweet, which included things like... Um, 
go and stand around in cool places like churches, libraries, um, supermarkets. So I can imagine you walking into a supermarket just standing there going, I'm just going to stand here for a few hours. Is that right with you? I don't think it would be. Um, And saying, uh, wear loose-fitting clothing. Well, what if I don't have any loose-fitting clothing? Do I have to buy some? I mean, you know, where do I buy loose-fitting clothing? I mean, it never ends, does it? If you start following this ridiculous line... I think the vast majority of people just simply do what they've always done when those difficult things either very very cold or very very hot they yeah. know exactly what to do and right. we just i think i mean i mean maybe the whole covid thing you know meant that somehow this on high push down we know best mm. we'll tell you what to oh, do oh there is a lot of that and a lot of the medical establishment in fact are they telling love us it. they love it are because... telling us that we mustn't overwhelm yeah. the nhs by getting sunburnt well i'm sorry i mean i've been sunburnt in my life i've never been to a hospital because of it Mm, well, I've 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 had various, but I I mean I do love the sun, but I know how to protect myself. Hopefully, mm. but I, I I laughed at the um, there was a tweet from the uh, meteorolog- meteorolo- meteorology yes. office last night asking people um, to let them know how they're coping. Yes. I thought, well, what's it got to do? Yeah. with them exactly. Anyway, it hasn't anything to do with them. But it is. I mean, and you don't wish to make it out as if we are the ones complaining about everything, and we're not really complaining. We're just observing. The yeah. fact that, you know, we are uh, pretty much alone in the world of broadcasting, actually telling people to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, of course, you're going to be sensible. You're not going to tell people, oh, don't worry about locking your dogs and your kids in a car. Of course, you're not going to say that because that's ridiculous. But mm-hmm. there will always be people who do it. There's always at least one. Mm-hmm. We've already had at least two incidences of, of young boys drowning yeah. um, in water because that's what always happens. No matter how many times you tell them not to do it, mm-hmm. they still do it. But luckily, it doesn't happen very much. You know, but this is life, unfortunately. It's yeah. the way it goes, isn't it? No, we're the, we're the common sense uh it's common sense approach. Common sense has gone out the window, of course. That's it really no longer has. something that um, politics and politicians seem to think is sensible anymore. Yes, common no, I sense. know. Now, before we start talking about who is going to be the next Prime oh, Minister, must right? we? Uh, well, we don't have to. I mean, I was a bit bored with it yesterday. I, what I do want to talk <coughs> no, about, though, is, is your view of Boris Johnson, because that's an important one. You worked with Boris uh, in the mayor's office. You saw him at close quarters. You were a, a close colleague of his. Let's have a look at him yesterday in the House of Commons. We took back control of our laws. We on this side of the House took back the sovereign right of the British people to determine their own laws and their own future in Parliament. And for that I say to colleagues on this side of the House, your place in history is secure. And I say to the Honourable General, Honourable Gentlemen, it will never be forgotten that 48 times he tried to overturn the will of the people. And let's have Keir Starmer's response. Mr Speaker, the delusion is never-ending. What a relief. What a relief for the country that they finally got round to sacking him. He lurched from one scandal to the next. He demeaned his office. And he started to drag everyone and everything down with him. Well, um, it ended, I suppose, as it started, rather bad-tempered. Um, in the Commons. Um, Boris Johnson's legacy will be Brexit, obviously. Um, what, for you, was the tipping point when he had to, you know, when because even the night before he resigned, he wasn't resigning? Well, I think he said it himself in his speech uh, when he said he was resigning, and he talked about the herd following. And I think there was something like that. You know, one or two people went, obviously, we got the, the senior people, Rishi and and uh, Sahih Javid and then one or two others who we knew were very much against him and then it just seemed like they all 
drip, drip, mm. drip followed on and it was almost became inevitable then. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I thought yesterday uh, we were back to, you know, the, the kind of old Boris, mm. the, the, the one who was able to make that kind of speech, but at the same time be funny and, and, yeah. and bring people with him. I thought Keir Starmer was quite nasty. Mm. You know, there was but absolutely no need for him to be so nasty given the situation well, you know, I think I mean, even to I'm sure Tony Blair in the same situation you know I was would have would have been able to say nice things as mm. well about well I Boris. think the way to do that in in those circumstances for me anyway uh, is that you know it's all done by more in but, sorrow than in anger yeah more in sorrow than in anger or you know you can be funny with it you can say well I'm sure I'm looking forward to seeing my, my writable friend's next mission in life. You know, will he shoot off to America? You know, will he write a book? Well, he hinted you know. at that, didn't he? Yeah, he is going to write absolutely. something about the last few months. Now, that would be and, very and, interesting. And so he should. But, I mean, mm. it's kind of classless to do what Starmer did, I think. And he's a classless individual, in my yeah. view. Yeah. But, you know, I do genuinely think, and I actually I, I tweeted something about that, I just think there'll be a lot of, a lot of MPs, you know, yesterday sitting, watching that, listening who may be just beginning to think, actually, having looked at the kind of almost debacle of yeah. what's going on with the leadership election, you know, did we did we jump too quickly? Yeah, and was- be careful what you wish for is a great thing to say in mm. politics because when you look around and, and when, you, when you say, you know, do we have to talk about the... Uh- the leadership <laughs> contest it was becoming in, in, in inexorably dull you know I didn't even watch the debate on Sunday night because I couldn't mm. bring myself to do it it was the one day I wasn't working I thought I'm not going to do it I'm not no. going to take an hour out of my you know allegedly relaxing Sunday to watch it mm-hmm. um, and I didn't miss anything you know no. I caught up with it because we now live in a world of 24 hour news heard about it all the next day heard about it um, you on, know, Twitter. The, <laughs> on Twitter and the newspapers it's easy, easy to do um, I did watch the one on Channel 4 but they're just none of them really particularly inspiring, I'm afraid. I mean, I don't. I, I quite like Penny Morden, and I've said mm-hmm. that I'd quite like her to be the next prime minister, only because I think she's got something about her that the others don't have. But you know, as a personality race, you know, mm-hmm. none of them are really winning. No, I, I don't think anyone. I, I suppose none of them look like a prime minister. I mean, the nearest to looking like a prime minister probably is Rishi Sunak, and, and that's because he. You know, he's. I don't know why it is, but he does look a little bit. I'm not. I would not particularly. I want think he'd Rishi be a terrible that. choice, to yeah, be honest. I, I mean, if if they're looking, they're all talking about changing. You mm. know, being different and yeah. going, getting a new approach and everything. Well, if you then end up with Rishi, you're not really doing no. that. But I, or Liz Trust for that matter. I personally thought. I'm so sorry that Suella Braverman mm. went out before she got the chance to have that. Um, debate mm. publicly because she wasn't very well known but she's very very articulate yeah. and I liked some of the things she was saying and I have to say my only my sign off from Sunday night uh, one I didn't actually watch the Channel 4 one no. so I was the, well yeah, this is good so we are co- we're all covered there yeah. you know yeah. was um, Liz Truss was the only one who didn't imply that Brexit was done really mm. she said she mentioned specifically Northern yes. Ireland, which which no one else did. But this, of course, is the trouble, isn't it? Because Brexiteers are now kind of split down the middle. There mm. are those who would be, say, the Boris loyalists who go, oh, don't worry about it, it's all been done. But it hasn't actually been done. No. And we know that it hasn't been done, not least in Northern Ireland, but mm. also with some of the fisheries fishing conversations. Too. You know, there is still quite a lot of work to be done. Plus, we've got all those regulations still that very few of them have been taken off that right. we could be getting off, you know, because we incorporated. I think people forget that in order to get everything through, we incorporated everything that was already part mm. of the EU. And then the idea was that you would start ditching things mm. that weren't necessary for business right. uh, and, and the regulations that perhaps have been brought in without 
Yes. We need, we need well, because there are some regulations in place, um, which, of course, the Remainers say, well, what did you expect? You know, you left the club, so therefore they're going to make it more difficult for you to do trade. Well, why? Surely people want to do trade with one another. Why would it have to be more difficult just because somebody uh, in the European Union uh, feels a bit sort of snubbed mm. and wants to punish you? That's yeah. not how you do Yeah, and, they're, and they're, they don't want anyone else to think of leaving. So no. they want to show other countries that might be thinking mm. some of those Eastern European countries who, who, who are not necessarily happy with some of the stuff that the EU is doing. So, but we're we're going to have another. I mean, we're having the whole of August now. Will be, I imagine, the media will still want to cover mm. all the the individual hustings that will go on between yes. the final two. I mean, it was great news yesterday when I heard they cancelled the Sky. Oh, I, I thought, thought fantastic. I, I thought I, I personally don't see why at this stage they needed to have all those debates either. No. Uh, I think it should have been left to the party and then the party members. Maybe in the final two, you would mm. have one final. Um, um, debate. Yeah, public. because if, if, if the general but public... they're tearing themselves apart. Well, they exactly. look like they're tearing themselves and they, apart. And they finally worked that out, obviously, yesterday after seeing the coverage of the night before. Yeah. Um, because if you can't vote in it, you're watching it and you're just looking at what appears to be a relative political shambles where nobody agrees with one another. I just, I just uh, wondered if, if any of the... Do you think any of the Conservative Party members might just have a write-in when it comes to the final two and just mm. write in Boris Johnson? Uh, well, you know, there is apparently uh, out there a, um, a, a legal challenge being put together uh, to get him on the final ballot. Ah. And that could have some success. It's not yet clear what the legal position is. Oh, because it even would have though, to be... Yeah, I mean, it would have to be, I think... Because um, it's not the law, obviously. It's part no. of the 1922 Committee's kind of uh, rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. But there is apparently a move afoot to try and get Boris put back on the ballot, which would be all sorts of fun, mm. I'm sure. But well, I don't I know whether he would even want that. Well, no, I expect now he has come to terms with it and has got a, a plan for the future. But, you know, he's still relatively young in terms of uh, politicians over the years, mm. so he could, he, could, he could have a comeback. Oh, he could. I mean, I would be absolutely sure, because some of the things that he said in that speech yesterday, um, and people always cringe when I say this, reminded me of some of the stuff that Donald Trump would come out with, where he went, you know, we got the biggest mandate, you know, we got the biggest, um, yeah. you know, vote of confidence from the from people of this country. Mm. We don't care about the politicians. Well, really. I, I, I mean, he did, and there's no doubt about it. All those MPs from the the so-called red wall seats, yeah, I would have thought they must be feeling quite worried because the reality is, is Boris is one of those people who could have gone to their constituency mm. still, despite what everything that's happened, would have um, motivated and made people feel there was something worth coming out to vote for. Mm. I think the danger now is that we're going to find a very, very low turnout in, in any general election yeah. now. Um, and the other question that doesn't seem to come up, nobody asked it. I thought somebody would have asked Rishi um, when they had this thing where one candidate could ask another. I mean, he got a, he got a penalty, didn't mm. he? He did. So why is that not being mentioned? It, why does that make up, him so... I think it did come up in the Channel 4 debate. Oh, did we'll it? talk some more about it. that. Mm -hmm. um, don't worry. You don't need to, because I did it for you. Um, <laughs> uh, we are here. This is the Independent Republican of uh, Mike Graham. Uh, Baroness Hoey is with us. We've got lots more to talk about. We'll take your calls as well. 0344 499 1000. What is happening around where you are? What is shutting down? What can't you do because of the heat wave? This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is very hot out there, so if you are sitting in a dark room watching us on Talk TV, that's probably the best place for you to be for a while, for a few hours anyway. Uh, Baroness Hoey is here with us, and we're talking about a great many things, including, of course, what might happen next. We're going to have one more dropout today, uh, and then it's down to, and then there were three. Um, who do you think it's going to be? I expect that um, that Kemi will, will drop out. Yeah. Um, what do you I mean, make she, of her? Well, I like her. I like her enormously. And yeah. I've, I'm 
you know, I might as well. I, I did a, a very, I did a way, way back in Peckham. She stood in Peckham mm. against Harriet Harman. And I was the Labour person that was put in to go to a, a Noel constituency hustings in yeah. Peckham. And she did brilliantly. There was a terribly aggressive audience made up of all the, the, the most extreme elements, probably, of, of the Labour mm. in, in South London. Mm. And she handled it so well. And I remember at the end going up to her and saying something about, oh, you know, you, you did really well and I hope you're going to continue. Forgot all about that. And shortly after she got elected, I met her in, in the lobby. Mm. And she came up to me and said, you know, and I said, oh, you know, congratulations. And she said, I just want to say thank you because right. I remember what you said to me. And That's I thought, nice. isn't that nice? Mm. But and I think she's um, very, very good on being honest mm. about some of the f- problems facing the country. Yes. But I don't think she's probably, you know, still at the stage where people just couldn't visualise mm. her being Prime Minister when she hasn't been in the public I think that's domain. the point. And that's the point with the problem for me with Liz Truss is that she's a bit too wooden. You know, she mm-hmm. may well be very knowledgeable. You know, everybody's got baggage. I don't really care about political baggage that much. You know, if she now believe, believes in Brexit and she says yeah. she believes in it, even though she didn't vote for it, I don't have a problem with that. But I just have a problem with her demeanour, which just doesn't in, inspire me. Yeah. You know, we had Theresa May. That was bad enough. Yeah. If we're going to have another woman prime minister, you'd want it to be somebody like Penny Morden, who has come for me under some extraordinary criticism of um, of her personal life, mm-hmm. you know, where Lord Frost, who I'm no big fan of, but I know a lot of people, I don't know what you think of Lord Frost, but people paint him as this kind of saviour of the world and mm. a very clever man and a man that should have been Prime Minister. I'm not sure I agree with that, but for him to say that he had grave reservations and to talk about her sort of going missing and sometimes we didn't know where she was, I mean, I'm not sure what he was trying to do there, you know? It seemed to be unusually harsh criticism of someone. Yes, normally um, if someone isn't doing very well as a junior minister, you know, the, the Secretary of State might want to get in the mood, mm. but they certainly wouldn't talk about it no. afterwards. Um, yes, I mean, she is, she's got a, a very, very bright, cheerful personality. She mm. comes across and, and, you know, it's probably awful to say something like this in, in these days, but she looks very good yeah. you know she she's very attractive yeah am i allowed to say that i think you can say attractive? that because i mean you can i mean boris johnson is an attractive personality yeah. whether you like what he does yeah. or not that's why people like to vote for him because yeah. they see him and it cheers them up he's funny you know uh, he's a character he's not gray mm-hmm. he's not boring he doesn't sound dull yeah. you know everyone in that group of people i think apart from you see being prime minister really it, it's it's an awful lot of it is about who you have around mm. you who you trust, yeah. who you give, who you delegate to. You can't do everything. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, even if, if Penny Morden hasn't got the experience on in some of the areas or hasn't got the detail, mm. that doesn't mean to say she can't be a good prime minister. No. You know, it's the and same it's with a, it's really a bit anyone. Like doing this, it's a bit like doing this job, you know. Um, there might be some amazing people working behind the scenes, but you need the person who's the presenter of the show, which is effectively the Prime Minister, because mm-hmm. that's who's out there in front of the House, yeah. sort of selling Britain to the world and dealing with world leaders yeah. and dealing with the public. Yeah. It needs to be somebody who's got communication skills. Yes, and, and someone said they could see, you know, you could see um, Penny Morden walking off a plane mm. in a foreign country and yeah. looking like she's the Prime Minister. Yeah. You know, you want. I think we all want our Prime Minister to look like someone that we whether we agree politically with everything they're doing yeah. that that we're we're sort of proud of in mm. a in a way that's about them and the image mm. they're giving of of our country yeah. and I, and I think I think obviously Penny could do that I think I think Liz Truss probably is more nervous than any of the other mm. candidates she's got really more 
to lose in a way because she has been foreign secretary and she's been so keen to become prime minister yeah. i think that that means that she is the person who probably in those um uh, various you know uh, television Debates, things yeah. address she's she's been nervous Yes, she has been nervous. Rishi looks like he's enjoying it. He looks like he's enjoying it, but he's not as clever as he thinks. He's like a lot of people that we all know. I just Uh, wish he'd get a different pair of trousers. I hate his trousers. Did you notice? I don't like his shoes. Oh, I I haven't noticed his shoes. Oh, they're very expensive shoes, so you can't not like his shoes. shoes. And he went to a building site in Cleveland in the northeast wearing a pair of £500 pairs of shoes from Prada. And they did this pointing thing, which looks very good. We did this on Saturday night. If If you actually point like that and you go, look over there. There's something really interesting. What do you think that is? And you yeah. go, but look out there. Look, there's something over there. And you actually look like you're doing something really important. Blair used to do that brilliantly. Yeah, of course he's he done, did. He's, that, that was his. Well, you know, he learned he, it from Ronald Reagan because Ronald Reagan first used to do it when he would come out onto a stage and he would point to members of the audience as if as he was if, waving at as if he was waving yeah, at people yeah, he knew, yeah. but he wasn't. He was just waving at anyone he was he was looking at. Yeah, yeah. And it really worked because it yeah. made him look folksy. It made uh-huh. him look like he knew people. No, I know his suits are very expensive, Rishi, but I don't like them. They're, they're all very narrow bottom. Yes. Maybe that's the fashion, Mike. Have you got well, it narrow could, bottom? It could well be. Uh, no, I don't really. I tend to dress like Rishi Sunak because I don't think I'm, I'm going to get one of my legs into his uh, into his <laughs> jacket. Never mind anything else. But yeah, I mean, he's just too smooth. He's too rich. Um, and also, a lot of people that we talk to here on Talk TV say he's he's a snake. He well, turned the on the prime minister. He stabbed him in the back. But Mike, he has been the chancellor for the last year or so. So what? You know what? So he's wrecked the economy. Is, is that, well, I mean, the point is now: how, how can he say he's got? He's not going to do anything different. Otherwise, he would have done it when he was chancellor. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have great faith in him no. really understanding just how much how necessary mm. necessary it is to change. And some I of found the it extraordinary policies. that part of his um, three pronged uh, slogan was rebuild the economy. And I was like, hang on a minute. You're the one yeah. that wrecked it. So now you're going to rebuild it. You expect yeah. to, it's like the builder that comes and wrecks your house. Yeah. Um, and then he comes back a week later and goes, I'll fix that. Yeah. And you go, well, hang on, you wrecked it. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to just put a new roof on and suddenly half the walls have collapsed. I think Kemi Bennett, uh, the ones who have left, Kemi Bennett is the one who's now saying things differently from mm. everyone else. I mean, she is, she's the only one who's confronted the immigration yeah. issue. Well, they uh, haven't really debated no. immigration. No, they haven't. Which they haven't is really extraordinary. About... And I'm told that's more to do with the way the debates have been handled by the moderators than it is to do with yeah. the actual um, players themselves. But that's a big issue for people. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, it's certainly on and some some other uh, channels that we probably don't talk about on talk TV. Yeah. But, I mean, GB News, for example. Mm. I mean, if they'd done something like that, there would have been questions on well, immigration. We would have done it as you well. would have done talk yeah. TV as well. Of course we would. Oh, well. We invented all that, you know. There so are some are people doing... who think they do it well, but we do it a lot better. When are they doing a BBC one? Uh, well, presumably they're not doing anything now until they get down to the, the two. two. And then it'll be a BBC and one. And then they'll have to do a BBC one. I mean, we did one here, actually. The Sun did one for Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt. So we may well do one once they get down to the final two. Mm-hmm. We shall see. But uh, delightful to see you. Are you going to spend the day cooling yourself in the uh, House of Lords? Yeah, uh, yes, I am actually. It is very, very cool in there because sometimes nice. we're freezing in there. Right. But I have to get a, a train to Peterborough later, and I'm worried that I won't well, be able to get one. Uh, Network Rail have apparently issued a do not travel warning. I have to travel. <laughs> I mean, what is the point of Network Rail? Don't travel. Uh, you're a <laughs> railway company. Uh, what else can we do on the train then? Can you just go on it and sit, play roulette, maybe turn it into a casino? Unbelievable. Kate, thank you very much indeed. Um, We will talk to you some more. Coming up, we've got MPs to talk to. We've got other people to talk to as well. But we want to hear from all of you. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I've got this from Philip in Bournemouth. Good morning, Mike. Yesterday I took myself down to the beach with my chill bag, my beach chair and an e-reader. I spent a pleasant three hours there. Didn't see anyone dying or requiring any medical attention. No blue lights and sirens. I'll be back there again soon. Well, enjoy it, Philip. Um, I think it's very nice that we can go to the beach. If you live near the beach, it must be lovely uh, because you can get down there. You can be plenty of uh, be near the water. You can uh, also have a little umbrella to make sure that you're not lying in the sun. You know, people generally speaking, you know, go on holiday, know what to do. You know, I took my kids to Turkey once and during the hours of sort of 12 and 2, we tended to keep them out of the swimming pool area and put them in the shade. This is when they were smaller. You know, parents tend to be quite smart about things like that. There are, of course, stupid people around. There are stupid people who take their children and let them get sunburned. But unfortunately, you can't really legislate for stupid people. And the worry I've got is that people like Sadiq Khan and others uh, would, would care to sort of lower the bar to such an extent that we all have to be treated as if we are stupid people. Uh, and quite frankly, we're not. And we're sick to death of it. But what about this advice from Network Rail? Uh, don't travel. Why not? We'll be talking about the railways later because apparently the East Coast main line has been shut down. But... Nowhere else has. So you can get actually a train from London to Sheffield, which would appear to be, to a large extent, on the East Coast main line. So what exactly is going on? And why, just because we've got hot weather, do the trains not run? Let's talk to Justin Tomlinson, Conservative MP for North Swindon, uh, who's backing Kemi Badenoch. Um, Very good morning to you, Justin. Good morning. I tell you what, I'm not stupid. Stood outside here on College Green in this sun because your brilliant TV station have provided some shade. So thank you very much. Very for good. That. No, listen. I mean, obviously, it's it's an incredibly hot day today, as it was yesterday. Uh, it's going to be cooler tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, we just have to deal with these things. Yep. This is modern life. I mean, I find it extraordinary that um, that some people are being told not to go to work, or other people are being told that they they shouldn't have to go to work. You know, just get on with it. Yeah, big dose of common sense needed. Look, I've got a three-year-old daughter and a 10-week-old daughter. And in the daytime, uh, in the shade, Peppa Pig is deployed. It's just common sense. Yes. Look, this has been tough. I've got an elderly mother. We all have to be sensible. But come on, we're grown up. We know what we're doing. Yeah, we do. Now, the question is, though, are the four candidates left in the Tory leadership race grown up enough uh, to be able to get on with each other? Um, uh, Kemi Badenoch, who, who you support, came out yesterday and said basically to Piers Morgan... Um, that, um, or to Tom Newton Dunn, sorry, I think, on the talk, uh, on Talk TV, that um, this is how we talk to each other in uh, in our spare time. There wasn't really any animosity uh, going on. But there was no doubt that um, they didn't do themselves any favours, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, having to go at each other on Sunday night, did they? Well, look, it is it is genuinely true they do get on. They, they disagree, which is why they're all standing against each other. And actually, this is so incredibly important that they have the space and freedom to have a robust debate because this is who is the next prime minister. This isn't a game. This is the ultimate prize for a politician. And they are big enough broad enough shoulders to have that robust debate and frankly if they can't uh, take scrutiny at this level then they wouldn't be fit to then take us through a general election and remember we have to have one eye on that general election because the unintended consequences if we get this wrong and uh, but at the end of them in the green room those candidates are still friends and I suspect whoever wins and I desperately hope that will be Kemi all four of them in fact many of those who haven't made it this far will have to play an important part in making sure that we win that unprecedented fifth term so that yeah. I have no worries about the, the style of debate so far. I mean, what's happening really now as well is that it all depends where the votes go, doesn't it? So um, Tom Tugendhat was out oh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's re- 
really sure where those votes go. Um, so it's a kind of open race in a way, because um, if they don't go uh, to Liz yeah. Truss, where do they go? Well, they're not going to go as a pack. Everybody's an individual. People, and, and I've sat in on many of these conversations with different colleagues, some will uh, support people on policy, some will support people that they've either worked with because they're impressed with them or not impressed with them. Some have been friends, some have gone to university with people. There's a whole myriad of reasons. What we know for sure, Tom's group of supporters will not go on block. They will have different reasons. Now, we've got to catch up with, at the very least, Liz. We're 13 votes off that. But what we've seen is people didn't think Kemi would get the 20 votes to be nominated she did that people thought she'd be out in the first or the second round and look each and every single round she's gone beyond expectations there is a lot of excitement from colleagues colleagues asking to speak to Kemi she's put a real marker into the ground and in polls out in the country whether to members like the con home like the talk tv poll this morning Kemi is winning those the public the members want her in that final two and we just need a few more of those colleagues to be brave enough to go with the room uh, read, read the direction of travel and if we can get Kemi there because every day that Kemi's in that competition Kemi gets stronger and stronger and look I was deputy chairman of the party I was loyal to the prime minister till the very end but I, I'm the only loyal person now without a job because I had to resign to be able to support Kemi because you can't take part in the campaign uh, if you're connected to central office you must be neutral and I was so impressed with Kemi when I saw her in select committees at the dispatch box she's just got that extra bit of sparkle that extra bit of magic she can engage across the political spectrum and if our red wall colleagues those who uh, won the seat for the conservatives for the first time in many generations or even for the first time have any chance of getting back in and us crucially securing that unprecedented fifth term they need to show some backbone and get kemi into the final yeah i mean there's no question that you're right about the the support for her out out there in the, in the big wide world and and i'm not quite sure if that's mirrored in conservative associations but certainly the public like kemi a lot more than they like anybody else but i wonder if it's a bit too early for her and would this be more of a positioning for her to get herself into a cabinet of the future like will she have to make a decision at some point as to whether she wants to align herself with somebody who will get in um, or whether she fights them. And, that, and that's a fair challenge, but that's a challenge that we've had at every single round. They, people questioned why she was even putting herself forward, that mm. she wouldn't get the 20. We got the 20. She'd be out in the first round, second round. She's beaten two former chancellors, uh, and the list goes on. There's been a very long list of people looking um, to become the Prime Minister. And in every single round, including last night, when she gained another nine supporters, we've just got to keep that momentum up. Uh, we may even have to deploy ice creams in this weather. I think that might be the, the magic thing to get her over the line. But look, she... She is uh, that ability. And you'll know as a journalist, there is nothing more depressing than a, a minister being trotted out to read the standard lines, not willing to be free-thinking, not willing to challenge the consensus. And Kemi brings that with bucket loads. She's had a normal upbringing. She understands the public, and that's how she can appeal across the political spectrum. It is no easy feat to win a fifth term because you own, as a government, you own the good and the bad. This is our best chance to renew. And Kemi would then uh, govern of all talents. People from across the political spectrum within our broad church of a party will all play an equal part in making sure that we can win 
that next general election. And what's your view uh, generally, I'm not asking for a personal view of the man, but of the uh, office, for example, that Rishi Sunak held. I mean, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. He worked with Boris Johnson very closely. We can believe or not believe the stories that they didn't always agree on everything. Uh, but he's largely responsible for the economic position we find ourselves in, notwithstanding some of the extraneous um, uh, situ situations like COVID uh, and like Ukraine and all of that. But I mean, he's been stewarding the economy. One of his actual slogans is to rebuild the economy. Um, a lot of people think because he was so much part of what went wrong, he shouldn't really be anywhere near the final two. What do you think? Well, I mean, that will be a judgment that uh, members will make starting at the end of this week. And look, you know, in, yeah, in defence of there, he was Chancellor predominantly through, well, through unprecedented times. Look, I, I think he deserves uh, to go for the leadership. It's not somebody I've chosen to support. I think Kemi, uh, with her experience in the Treasury, she has different views on how she would take forward both government spending and priorities and how she will utilise people across uh, the party to give us the best chance of getting that unprecedented challenge. I've got no ill feeling to towards Rishi, but I've chosen that I don't think he is my first choice to be Prime Minister. That's Kemi. I felt so strongly about it. I stepped down from the position I loved within the party because I genuinely think Kemi offers us that best chance to renew. OK. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you for spending time with us in the sunshine, even though it was in the shade. Justin Tomlinson, Tory MP for North Swindon, uh, backing uh, Kemi Badenoch there. Um, she may be out of the race by the end of the day, or she may not. It's a very open scenario. The voting begins at midday. We'll bring you all of that as it happens, plus the count, plus uh, the result uh, of that particular ballot, right here on Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It is supposedly going to be the hottest day of the year since... Yesterday was the hottest day of the year. Uh, apparently it was a very hot night last night. Uh, I'm sure it was for most people. For an awful lot of people, uh, it was pretty uncomfortable. For some lucky people, uh, they were either staying uh, in air-conditioned rooms or staying in very dark rooms with the curtains closed all day so that you didn't get too hot. Here's a challenge for you. Uh, in the next couple of hours, while we are on this show, what I want to do uh, is have a rolling tally uh, of what the weather's actually doing. I want to know what the temperature is where you are, what the weather is actually doing where you are, uh, because thunder and lightning appears to be hitting. Uh, the west coast of this country. Devon and Cornwall uh, seem to be under a barrage of thunderstorms, which is not particularly unusual after a lot of hot weather. Uh, the trains have been cancelled for Scotland. Uh, what's it like in Scotland? What's the weather like in Scotland? Because I've got this uh, from Ant, who says, the last time I checked, steel boils at 1,530 degrees centigrade. Iron boils at 2,862 degrees centigrade. Why are our country's train tracks buckling and melting at 30 to 40 degrees centigrade? It's ridiculous. Too much snow, too much rain, too much sun, and we can't cope. Don't forget, you can't cope with leaves either. In the autumn, there's too many leaves on the line. Uh, in the winter, too much snow and frost on the line, frozen tracks, frozen signals. When you get to spring, there's landslides all over the place. There's too much rain. So all the, all the stuff falls down, uh, all the earth falls down, uh, land slips into the tracks. Summertime now, we can't go because it's too hot. Does anybody know how to run a railway service in this country? For God's sake, 0344 499 1000 is the number. How many net zero MPs have fitted air conditioning units in their offices at taxpayers' expense, says Tony Tucker from Barry in Furness. It's a pretty good question. Uh, we'll try and get to the bottom of it. We'll try and get to the answers. We're going to talk to our A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Andrew Montford coming up about the government's net zero strategy uh, because we're not quite sure which of these four candidates uh, is going to go where with what because even Kemi uh, has been said to have weakened her position on net zero. We shall see. Uh, But of course there is one man that you can always rely upon to give you great advice about climate change and how to sort it out. And it is of course Prince Harry. Let's have a look at what he was telling the United Nations yesterday. The few weaponizing lies and disinformation at the expense of the many. And from the horrific war in Ukraine to the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom, the cause of Mandela's life. As we sit here today, our world is on fire, again. And these historic weather events are no longer historic. More and more, they are part of our daily lives. And this crisis will only grow worse unless our leaders lead. Yeah, thanks, Harry. Um, can't remember what he was elected to, uh, but have a look at the size of the audience that he was talking to, the United Nations. I mean, that's a place where uh, there are hundreds of nations represented by thousands of people, delegates all over the place, who must have wanted to listen to the wise words of a man Uh, who technically is still the heir to the British throne. A man who, for some, uh, is a real beacon of light and sense and absolute um, truthfulness. Surely the place would have been filled to the rafters. But no, there was more empty seats. As I said on Twitter, I've seen more of an audience at a school play. Nobody cares what Prince Harry has to say. And certainly he has no clue about what he's talking about. He's never been particularly bright. But for him to say the world is on fire again having flown into New York City, probably in a private jet. I'll apologise to him later if it turns out he didn't go on a private jet. Uh, His wife, of course, uh, accompanying him, she was carrying a £5,000 handbag. Uh, I'm very well uh, assured that was the case. Uh, Some very expensive shoes and probably quite a lot of jewellery. But, of course, the most important people are the little people uh, because it's uh, not them that are going to suffer. Uh, It's the little people that are going to suffer, and that's who they represent. And that's why they have to make these statements and make these judgments and they have to do all this stuff in the public eye because they want a life of privacy. Give me strength. Let's talk instead to Andrew Montford from Net Zero. Uh, Hi, Andrew Montford. Good morning. Morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Prince Harry says the world is on fire again. Uh, When was it on fire last time and is it on fire now? Well, uh, if you believe Prince Harry, then it's on fire every other day. But uh, no, the world isn't, isn't, isn't on fire um, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, um, temperatures in the UK haven't actually gone up on average for about 30 years now. Um, it's the, the, the Central England temperature record, which is like the gold standard, the gold standard record, shows no warming 
in, in the UK since, um, or in central England, I should say, in, in, since um, about 1990. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the world isn't on fire. People are getting very... We're just losing you there a little bit, Andrew. Let's try and get Andrew back a little bit with a slightly better line because I'm just not quite hearing you very well. Cassandra uh, from Harlow has sent me this, apparently in a place called Great Pondon, 36 degrees um, down uh, in Bexhill. I'm getting this from um, Kim, who says it's 37 degrees. So we haven't quite reached the magic number of 40 yet. I don't think we reached that yesterday, although people did send me yesterday some pictures of their barometers where it looked as though it was reaching uh, something like 40 uh, or 41. But I guess, technically speaking, as far as the uh, office is concerned, it has to hit that temperature in a particular place. And only then uh, can we actually say exactly what it is that's going on. Why Britain's rail network just can't cope in the heat, says a piece in the Telegraph. Well, I'm sorry, it's not good enough. 33 degrees uh, and sunny is what we get from uh, Jay, uh, who says he's in Litchfield. And he says the high bar on my electric use is for yesterday from having two fans on. And so it says he used 0.2 kilowatts uh, because of the fans. This is the thing. Nobody's talking about the high cost of energy. Because it is going to be a very high cost if you put electric fans on, especially if you've got one of those air conditioning units as well. I think we've got Andrew back. Andrew. Can you hear me now? That's a lot better. That is superb. Good. Um, yeah, sorry. So you were saying that uh, the country has been, uh, or the world, has not really been on fire before, uh, and the temperature here has not really risen on average for quite some time. No, that's right. So, it, yeah, I think I think people on Twitter are sort of going um, into hysterics about this and you know I guess it's probably it's probably good for news stories and things like that and you can sort of pump up the fear but um, in reality there is no crisis um, worth the mentioning and you know, heat is something we adapt to very easily I mean people you know you talked before about you know drawing your curtains and 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 staying inside this is this is heat is something we adapt to very readily we've always done so and and there is no need to have a meltdown yeah I mean, there are there are minor issues, if you like, stuff like like you know, rail buckles, uh, rail rail uh, lines buckling in the heat. Yeah, that might happen once every every ten years, and and you know, that is a minor problem. It is not a cause uh, for hysteria. It really isn't. But they, we love. I mean, there are certain people in this country who love a bit of hysteria, um, and the sort of uh, the net zero brigade. Uh, would have you believe that all of this that's happening now uh, is entirely due to man-made climate change, none of which is actually provable in any way, shape or form, is it? No, it can't, it, it can't be proven because um, it, essentially um, if you're going to blame anything, you know, a heat wave or, or a storm or something on, on uh, man-made climate change, then you need a climate model and your climate model has to be correct and true and a, and a, and a real representation of the earth and, and you know, the evidence uh, suggests that they're nothing of the sort. So it is essentially speculation when you blame anything like this on um, man-made climate change. In fact, a lot of the heat that we're seeing at the moment is going to be nothing to do with climate anyway. It's going to be uh, much more to do with um, what's called urban heat islands. Yeah. Um, so this is where all the all the concrete and buildings absorbs heat on hot days and retains it. So essentially the next uh, the next day becomes hotter because you've got you've got, um, as well as the hot sun, you've got uh, warm buildings radiating heat at you as well. That can be several degrees 
centigrade of an effect. So, um, yeah, when we, people are jumping up and down and shouting about, about record-breaking temperatures, in fact, a lot of what we're seeing is not a climate effect at all. It's, it's, it's this urban heat island. So when you hear people referring to the, uh, the, sort of the fires, the bushfires down in Portugal, which are currently going on uh, near Quinta de Largo, uh, there's firefights uh, being, being fought over in uh, eastern France. Uh, there's parts of Spain that are incredibly hot going on fire. I mean, what's all that about then? Okay, so, I mean, fires have always um, taken place in, in, um, in hot countries in summer. This is nothing new. So um, you can then um, ask yourself whether, the, whether they, uh, the fires are becoming worse in these places, and the data shows that they're not. Um, um, the, the area burnt in southern Europe um, has been declining for, many, for several decades now. That's also true um, in, in um, places like Australia, which, you know, whenever they have a fire there, people get hysterical about it and, ask, and tell us it's, you know, the world is on fire and we're all going to die of global warming. It's not true. The data is actually going the other way. It's very, very difficult to get uh, because he, people um, just talk in these hysterical tones on Twitter or in the media. Yeah, it's very difficult. You actually have to get the data out there and show and show them that it isn't true. But it's so easy for people just to keep hyping these things up. It really is. I'm just seeing a, a, a network rail retweet here about Thameslink. There are currently no services on routes between London and Peterborough, Cambridge, Sutton, Raynham, Littlehampton and East Grinstead. It says, please do not travel as we are unable to source alternative transport. I mean, it is incredible how the railway network seems to grind to a halt no matter what's going on with the weather. I think I think I would. Yeah, I mean, that is true that it does. It does tend to grind to a halt a lot. I think there, there are... Uh valid concerns about rails buckling in the heat because you know, then there's a risk of derailment um but you know heat like this happens once every what seven eight nine years mm. and yeah if if the world is getting slightly warmer yeah a gradual program of of um you know putting more expansion joints into our rails or whatever it is you have to do um, um to stop them buckling fine that's that's a useful, simple adaptation measure that we can take over the years. But um, trying, you know, trying to change the weather in 2050 is is going to be less effective. Mm. I mean, interesting that net zero has become a bit of an issue between the final and remaining four candidates for the Tory party leadership. Um, uh, only Kemi Badenoch really seems to have broached the subject of net zero. The rest of them all seem to be signed up to it. She's at first said that she was against uh, doing it. Uh, she's now sort of watered that down slightly to uh, there are circumstances in which she might delay it. But one of the things she did say is that nobody really cares about net zero because by 2050, most of the politicians who are punting it and selling it won't be around. Yeah, I think it's I think um, the, the, the Kemi Badenoch phenomenon has been really quite, quite interesting because for, what, 30 years now, we've we've had essentially complete unanimity hmm. among the political classes about about the idea that we need to decarbonize and it's become a form of groupthink and there has been no effective opposition to the idea that, that we we've, we've got to go down this road now groupthink is a very dangerous thing and and um um i think we're going to find out this this winter that um important questions haven't been asked like how we how we um, um keep uh, supplying energy to people um if we if we have wind farms um, yeah. and solar panels which which don't operate for large chunks of the time and you know, this this has been waved away 
um, for 30 years, people mm. have just said, oh, well, we've got to do net zero, we'll work something out. And yeah, that is no sensible way of running anything. And yeah, this winter you know, is going to be carnage mm. because of that. Yeah, I, I think it's very important that Kemi Badenov has stood up and said, there are issues here that we need to look at. I think if if she doesn't get in and, and you know i think i think most people would say you know she's an outside better mm. um, 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 at best if she doesn't get in then whoever does get in has a problem because they have campaigned on a platform of continuing with net zero mm. if people can't uh, if people are sitting in the dark this winter or if they can't afford to heat their homes this winter a, pri a prime minister who has stood on such a platform is going to be in a very shaky position, I think. Yeah, I think that's right, which is why uh, the whole Tory party edifice could, in fact, just crumble before our very eyes and just in time for the next election, which would be a little bit bad uh, for them, would it not? Because it wouldn't be any different under Labour either. Andrew, thanks very much indeed. Andrew Montford, the Deputy Director of Net Zero Watch. Benedict in Wigan says this. Hi, Mike. I remember when I was a kid in tw uh, 20, uh, 2006, the weather topped nearly 37 degrees. It was amazing and we all enjoyed it. How the fear has ramped up since then. When I used to work as a Christian youth volunteer, many primary school children would be tasked to make posters of how to be kind to others. The majority of posters they created were about climate refugees and the world being on fire. I couldn't quite believe it. Uh, incredible. Uh, the last time it was this hot was 1976, says Victor. So roll on 2067. We might be able to cope by then. And what will they blame then? Well, of course, you've got all kinds of apologists for this weather saying, oh, yeah, the point is it's not about that. It is really not. This is... Something very much more serious. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, we have, in fact, crossed the Rubicon, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, uh, the UK has actually experienced the hottest day on record. Officially, uh, temperatures uh, major, uh, made, measured at 39.1 degrees centigrade uh, in a place called Charlwood in Surrey. So we have reached 39.1. Wherever you are, uh, if you can find it hotter than that, uh, by all means, send it in to us. We are compiling a table, uh, a league table, if you like, of where is the hottest place in the UK. Um, I've got this from Brexit Duck. I used to work in a foundry in Smethwick uh, in Birmingham. It was so hot, we had to wear fiberglass hard hats as the plastic ones would melt. I wonder how long the snowflakes would have lasted. Uh, probably not very long, I'd have to say. We'll be taking your calls on this, of course, as well. All the way through this show and all the way through the day at Talk TV, we will be helping you to measure the heat. We will be helping you not to uh, give you sort of nanny state instructions on what you should do next, but basically just to keep you company. Uh, if you're in a car, you've got air conditioning on, hopefully. Uh, if not, you've got the windows open. If you're in your house, you've hopefully got the curtains closed so the sunshine doesn't heat you over much. Uh, if you've got fans, put them on. Uh, but of course, people will then having to pay electricity. Uh, bills which they can't afford because this government still has yet to give the people back some money and at the end of the day it's all very well uh, having this leadership race it's all very well choosing between kemi and rishi uh, and uh, penny and uh, poor old um, liz truss but at the end of the day one of them is going to get in and one of them has to do something to release uh, us from this terrible, terrible torture of increasing inflation. Uh, we're going to talk now to Len Shackleton, research fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs, because we've got some new figures uh, from the Office for National Statistics. Employment currently standing at 75.9%. Unemployment at only 3.8%. But here's the big question. Economic inactivity sitting at 21.1%. And that is a very big number indeed. Len, a very good afternoon to you. Hello there, Mike. Good to talk to you. Uh, this is the uh, kind of mystery now uh, of the employment 
statistics, isn't it? This economic inactivity figure, because um, unemployment appears to be very low. The Tories are always crowing about that. The unemployment is, is incredibly low, lowest that it's ever been. But there are many businesses still saying, but we can't get enough staff. We can't get enough people into the jobs that we need to fill. And so I have to ask, what is this economic inactivity? What does it mean? Well, it's all sorts of things, isn't it? I, I mean, some of it uh, is, is young people who've gone back into education, uh, which was, uh, you know, when they couldn't get jobs during, during COVID. Uh, some of it is people taking early retirement. Uh, some of it is, is family caring and that kind of stuff. We, I mean, the, the, the economic inactivity rate has fallen uh, this, this month or, you know, in this latest set of figures. It's still, I think, too high. Mm. But uh, we're not particularly out of line with most other countries. And uh, if you look at countries like uh, France, Spain, Italy, etc., their inactivity rate is far higher than ours. Mm. So it's, it's a worry, but I don't think it's the main cause of our problems, which some people seem to think it is. Yes. So the main, if you if you were to say just an employment alone, the main cause of our problems at the moment uh, is a lack of people to fill jobs which formerly were filled. Why is there a lack of people, given that we seem to have more people in this country than ever before, uh, and yes. we seem to have more people not doing anything than ever before? <laughs> it is a problem, but it, you know, it, you know as well as I do that you've got to match up the people to the jobs, and, mm. and this means not only the skills but also the location of it. I, I, I mean, you pointed to the unemployment figure, which is far higher in some parts of the country, in the northeast, for example, mm. or in Northern Ireland, than it is. Uh, in, in say, in the southeast, where where we've got very low unemployment rates, yeah. so it's it's a question of ma- matching people to the jobs, which is to do with skills and what we can do with that kind of improvement. It is partly, I guess, with the kind of benefit system we've got, which which um, you know the way universal credit works. There, um, Rishi Sunak kind of improved the, the this a little bit in in the last budget, but essentially. Um, it, t- it tends to motivate people to, to work for a few hours rather than more hours, to work part-time rather than full-time mm. uh, because of the way the universal credit system works to back up people's pay. So w- there are things we could do, I think, to improve this, but it's, it's not an easy thing to, to sort out. I mean, I'm more concerned, actually, right, while we're on, on the subject, with uh, the falling real pay. And this is, you know... This is leading a lot of pressure for strikes and things like this. Mm. But we're only really going to resolve this if we manage to boost our productivity and, and get productivity rising. And the, the, the problem with some of the demands of the unions, like the railways, for example, is that they want to have higher pay, but not make the changes in working practices and so forth, which would enable us to boost productivity and be able to sustain this higher pay in the longer term. Yes. That's the problem, I think. That is is the problem. I mean, I'm looking at a story here today saying that Transport Secretary Grant Shapps has said... Uh, that an inflation-busting pay increase could leave the UK permanently poorer. And he's basically saying to all of these unions um, that they're not going to get anything like the 9 to 15% they're looking for uh, at a bare minimum, and they're looking at more like 3 to 5%, uh, which they're not going to swallow, are they? They're not going to swallow, but, you know, the, the, we, we have indulged uh, the unions for a while because, we, you know, we... we we had 30 years of comparative industrial peace following the, the changes which were made by uh, the Thatcher and major governments, mm. um, you know, in, in terms of restricting the, the powers of unions, abandoning the closed shop, 
uh, tightening the rules on ballots and things like this. Maybe we need another round of this. And, uh, you know, I've been arguing this in a paper for the IEA this week, that we ought to look again at some of the ways in which, uh, I mean, unions have their power essentially because they are exempt from being sued for breach of contract. And we could change the conditions under which this works rather than saying, okay, let's buy them off by giving them a a Mm. much higher pay increase. Uh, We have to think about the future. Yeah, but that's what happened, isn't it? Because in the end, negotiations are hard. Paying people off is easy. Um, And actually sort of putting off what you didn't want them to do uh, now in order to keep everything running smoothly uh, is the way forward. And that's very much what happened in the print world when print unions were still all powerful in Fleet Street. And they used to get more and more money to do less and less work. And, you know, by the end, it finally just became a massive crisis, which I'm sure will happen to the rail industry, because in the end, somebody somewhere will be brave enough to say, do you know what? We don't actually need drivers anymore. Let's just get rid of them all. Yeah, well, the rail industry is clearly uh, a very, very in a very, very difficult situation. Uh, the passenger numbers are up now, or were before before these strikes, were up to about 85, 90% of the level before. But the revenue is much lower mm. because uh, the, the increase uh, or, or the return to, has been to leisure travel, where people book in advance and pay lower rates, rather than commuting and business mm. travel, which was always the big earner for, for, for the railways. Yes. But they're in a situation now where, where, you know, in a semi-permanent situation where revenue is going to be much lower. And yet, if we have these big increases in pay, then they're going to expect the taxpayer to cough up for this. And it ain't going to happen, mm. I don't think. No, that's right. And I mean, it's not helping the cause of the unions at the moment, the way that uh, the railways are running uh, over the course of this week, where basically we're told that the the East Coast main line can't run, but you can still get a train to Paris and you can still get a train uh, to other parts of the country. So uh, if the if the wheels are buckling or if the uh, rails are buckling, they're only why they're only buckling on the uh, on the main line. Well, I, as I understand it, Mike, there is a technical reason for this, which is to do with the way in which the overhead wires were organised on the East Coast Line as compared with the West Coast Line. Yes. The West Coast Line, they've got solid gantries. On the East Coast Line, they're suspended steel wires, uh, which sag when they expand in the heat. And this uh, creates the danger of tangling with the pantographs and, and this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. so, is the east coast where the particular problem is i think of clo- we can't get a train to york from london at the moment so you can get one to sheffield apparently well the sheffield goes a d- well the sh- i know the it's a different line but it, what, it's, what it's not to do with though as far as i'm concerned not electrified. yeah no but what i'm saying is what what but they don't explain this what they're saying is all oh, it's because the rail lines might buckle well it can't yeah. be that because if that was the case that all the rail lines would be buckling yeah, as usual, the, the, the PR from, from the rail companies is, is not the greatest, or indeed from the government for that matter. Uh, no, it really isn't. So, you know, we've now got uh, the possibility of having a train stopping in the autumn because of the leaves, stopping in the winter because of the frost, stopping in the I summer the wrong because, type of, snow as well, because of the sun. The yeah, the wrong kind of snow yeah. because of the sun. And in the springtime, we always have uh, landslips so that you can't get past the railway lines because they're all covered in mud. You know, it's not the world's greatest system, is it? No, there are, there, it is a system which needs reform. It's a system which needs updating. It's a two. It's almost two hundred years old. A lot of the the network, of course, mm. and, and it's all very well if you know. You look at Spain or somewhere where they've built these fantastic high speed trains and so forth. They 
they're building it in a desert, basically. And, you know, and they can start from scratch and use best practice techniques. Mm. Very difficult to update uh, railways like we have in the UK. Yeah, absolutely right. So where does it all end with this public sector pay freeze? Uh, the public sector workers obviously want more money. Um, the government doesn't want to give it to them. The Treasury says it's an inflationary spiral. I mean, where? I mean, I saw a piece yesterday, I think, from somebody saying that petrol price is expected to cost £10 less uh, per per uh, per fill up, I think at the uh, at the pumps as of next month. What well, I don't know why petrol prices are coming down. I don't know why people are able to predict them. But will that at least start the, perhaps the beginning of a reduction in inflation? Well, I, yes, I, I I think inflation will come down. Um, I think the government could assist in some ways. I think the you know I think some short term tax cuts probably are in order to 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 boost real pay packets, but. Um, it's 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 all a mess, and it's not helped by this uh, you know this huge hiatus we've got at the moment. We're trying to sort out a new government mm. with this beauty contest that we're running every night of the week. An insane way of choosing a leader, I think. Mm. It really is an insane way of choosing a leader because all you get uh, are the worst parts of all of their personalities, uh, which make you want to not really want to vote for any of them. That's right. Yeah. It really is dreadful. So, I mean, in terms of um, these figures today, let's go back finally just to economic inactivity. Um, if it's gone down this month, is that likely to be a trend? Will it continue to go down as a result of the changes being made to universal credit or whatever? I think it will go down. It's not going to go down dramatically unless there are fundamental changes, mm. I think, in the way the universal credit system works. But I think we are, you know, a, a lot of these things are about flows in and out of inactivity. And, um, you, you know, we may find less people are, are, are retiring early. Uh, possibly because of the, the you know, the, the financial pressures people are under. If, if, if fewer people retire early, uh, then inactivity declines, mm. you know, measured inactivity. So I, I would I would expect inactivity to continue to fall gradually. But in order to change it radically, you do have to look again at the universal credit system. Yeah, I dare say that will be what happens. Thank you very much indeed. Len Shackleton, Research Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs, there talking about uh, the amount of economic inactivity in this economy now, 21.1%. But also, why is it that so much is wanted by the public sector unions and why is it that they alone seem to be the people holding this government to ransom 0344 499 1000 is the number lots more of you want to talk to me we'll get to all of you this is talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have a leaderboard now. Uh, the official highest temperature right now is 39.1 degrees in Charlwood in Surrey. Uh, but we've got a new one uh, for you because we have got all of the people that listen and watch this TV show here, uh, right here at Talk TV. We've got Chris in Wiltshire coming in at number five, 35.4 degrees for him. Sandy in Woodbridge next up at fourth position with 36.3. Uh, Anne in Bulldock at 38 degrees in third place and coming in at top joint top in fact we've got two at 42 degrees lewis in hampshire and peter in nuneaton uh, according to my app uh, sitting in front of me here, uh, it's 38 degrees here in London. Uh, that may change, of course, over the course of the next couple of hours. But uh, I've got a tweet here from someone who says uh, basically that all the apps say different things. Andy says this. I've got three weather apps on my phone. The Apple one, the Met Office one and the BBC one. They all give different forecasts. Some have rain, some have different temperatures uh, and some, of course, say it's going to be Armageddon. Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't got Armageddon on my app, but there we are. Some people just worry too much. 
Let's talk to a man who doesn't worry about these things. James Whale uh, in the back of his garden in sunny Kent, the place where they're going to release some bison very soon. James, a very good um, afternoon to you, sir. Uh, a very good morning or afternoon. Is it afternoon? It is now, yeah. Uh, am I not sitting in the uh, in the heat of the midnight midday sun? I mean, I better put my hat on. You better have, yeah. And you better hold uh, a glass of water or something to make sure that you don't I, give I, a I, bad example. I, I've got a glass of wine. Um, so anyway, uh, you know about this temperature thing, if you put a thermometer in, in a place where there's a lot of white walls around it reflects the heat or whatever, yes. or maybe black, I don't know, um, it, it will make a, shush guys, it'll make a much hotter uh, temperature reading than yes. somewhere else. They, it all goes up and down. But you know, we're getting warmer. We've been getting warmer for years. What's wrong with that? Uh, well, it'll, it will become difficult to live in. I couldn't take too much of this unless we built the country and we should be building the country to suit higher temperatures. You know, every new house should have air conditioning. Um, the roads and the railways should be made so they can withstand extreme temperatures. Uh, all this rubbish from these... I have to be very careful because I'm in my garden. I have to guard my language. <laughs> Uh, these pillocks who uh, go around there breaking windows and sticking things on things who need a, in my my mind they need to be taken to the headmaster's office and given six of the best yes i think and that's then a, yeah that's a very very good idea the problem now though james is that the people everywhere i go want to advise me on what i should do i don't need any advice thanks and neither do you i suspect no you know if you need advice then obviously you're one of those people who can't cope and you'll probably end up in an institution but <laughs> a lot of people have have come to rely on the nanny state and mm. the mainstream media uh which we're not part of no. yet hopefully um seem to love giving out all this information do this do that if you go out in the sun in the summer you could burn everybody knows that put yeah. on sunscreen wear a hat dark glasses mm. and sometimes i'm on medication that says i shouldn't really spend much time in the sun so after this i'm going in yeah uh so you know it's it's it, people are really beginning to annoy me in the way that everybody needs to be nannied you know let me i was reading some stories back in the 70s that that i'd covered back in the 70s when uh scientists were saying including david bellamy by the way who was cancelled yes um the the planet is gradually moving closer to the sun. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But there are some scientists who say this. Yeah. The temperatures on, on Earth will get hotter and hotter. There will be years where they get colder. And apparently, eventually, the great heat leads to another ice age. That'll mm. cause problems, too. Yeah. And so I, I, the, everybody says, oh, well, we are a climate denier. I'm not a climate denier. The climate is here, and it's always changed man may well be contributing to it so could everything else that's what's happened over the millennia well that's we need right. to adapt to survive but I'm, i've got this here from michelle uh, in north devon she says it's currently raining and it's around about 24 degrees so yeah. if you fancy if you fancy a trip down to north devon uh, you'll be all right you know you can do shows from uh, from down there yeah, but then you'll get flooded, won't you? And then you won't be able to cope with the water. You can't cope with the snow. The leaves are causing us a problem. I mean, everything causes a problem. And the other thing, apparently, I was reading a story today. Again, I don't know if this is true, but mm. apparently there has been major sunspot activity on the sun. Oh, well, there would be, wouldn't there? Isn't and that where it happens? It's, well, and that's what actually affects the, the, the 
climate on the planet more than us driving cars. Mm. You know, this whole thing to net zero is just ridiculous. It's, as you said. it's a con on all of us. We need to clean our act up as we go along. And we are so much cleaner than we were during the Industrial Revolution. Mm. I just, I just, maybe I need to go into government. I think I'm just a bit too old and knackered, but it just seems ridiculous. I think that's what they need in government is somebody who's old and knackered. I mean, I'm fed up with all these new young things that think that they can run the country. The place is full of 20-something spads, special advisors who've never seen anything beyond, you know, their children's nappy. Uh, and suddenly they want to run the country. Well, I don't understand why a politician would would actually employ an advisor who has no life experience. Yeah. It's like you and I employing an advisor to do that, isn't it? Why would well, you? Look, look at all these. I mean, I won't mention any programmes of people, but who have teams of 30 or 40 around them and produce absolute sh- sh- shockings. <laughs> and, and, and you know, we on Talk TV in the main manage to put programmes together with a really good team of a few people. Yes. And that's how it it's should a great, be. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful at, thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the railways. Yes. Well, I mean, I don't understand how... Uh, apparently, it's got something to do with the overhead wires now, which they're not telling us. They haven't told us about this. They're telling us, they're trying to tell us it's the railways, but it's actually not the railways melting or, or, or buckling. It's something to do with the overhead wires, and there's some reason why they won't tell us the truth. Well, I don't know. that. I think that sounds a bit like a conspiracy, but if there is a reason, it's probably they spent too much money. And they should have done it a different way. Yes. But, you know, years ago, we should have been replacing the rail lines. And, and people who moan about HS2, um, just shut up. We need new infrastructure. We need proper trains like in France and Spain and Italy. Our, ra- our railways are 200 odd years old and they need improving. The people who are going to go on strike, sack the bloody lot of them. Sack every single last one of them. I find a lot of them very rude on yes, estate. I, I'm and agreeing also, with you. We don't need drivers on trains anymore. We need a nice smiling person walking through the carriages, seeing if you're okay, answering any questions. But the trains can be run technologically. We don't need train tube drivers can earn up mm. to eighty thousand pounds a year quite easily. Mm. But all you do is you use this and you push it. That's all you do. Push your finger in a button, go forward, stop, go back. It's very easy. Very easy, James. Anyway, listen, we've got to run. You take care of yourself. We'll see you uh, on Thursday night, 10 o'clock. James Well will return to the airwaves here at Talk TV. Robert says this, it's 28 degrees where I am in South Wales, Mike, and it's dropping down every hour. At this rate, uh, I'll be putting the heating back on by this afternoon. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, 39.1. Uh, we can beat that. 42 uh, on the top of our chart. Paul, Peter in Nuneaton, Lewis in Hampshire, both 42. Can you beat that? Uh, if you can, you need to let us know. 0344 499 Don't bother telling us how you're keeping cool, um, but just manage to do so without boasting. Do you think you can manage that? Uh, Coming up, uh, we'll take more of your calls. We will hear, of course, from Ian Collins. He's coming in uh, from one o'clock. We've got Dr David Bull from four. uh, And then it's back to Tom Newton Dunn uh, on the news desk. It's Piers Morgan. It's the talk. It's all going on. Daisy McAndrew from 10 o'clock as well. Uh, Don't forget the vote this afternoon. You'll be getting more uh, people dropping out of the Conservative Party race for leadership. We'll bring you all of that very shortly here at Talk TV. 
Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.